So when we talk about the Amazonification of restaurants, that's really what it is. It's it's big tech companies weaponizing the data that we gave them uh, essentially to use it against us. And there, there's a lot of talk about commissions and how expensive it is, but I think the real hidden danger in all of this is the consumer data. What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give an Ovation. I am joined today by Andrew Martino, who is the founder of Ghost Truck Kitchen, which was started in 2017 as the world's first digital food truck lot. Now, it's a really cool concept, running 12 concepts out of an 800-square-foot location. He is also the owner of Martino Hospitality Services, where he specializes in helping restaurants with everything they need from creation of concept all the way to grand opening. Uh, Martino, so by the way, do you go by Andrew Martino? Because for those of you who don't know, which is everyone listening, <laughs> Martino and I actually went to high school together and then reconnected through the craziness of 2020, find out, found out that we're both in the, in the food service hospitality industry. Um, and so reconnected, but, uh, yeah, what do you go by Andrew or Martino? I would say everybody I meet now in my life is Andrew, but all the people that have known me before still call me Martino or Tino. So I, I, anything works with you. We, we go way back. So feel free to drop the Martino on me. <laughs> all right. Well, so first of all, Martino, like tell me about ghost truck kitchen. It's a really interesting concept. It's something that in 2017, when you started with it, I'm sure that people were like, are you selling to dead people? Like what is ghost? Tr like, tell me about a ghost. Tr and now it's like as common as bread with your meal. Like, so talk to us about what is it? How did you come up with it? Sure. Um, well, you're definitely right. When I first started telling people that I wanted to do, you know, open up a virtual food truck lot, they thought that meant putting on virtual goggles and going into a restaurant and that would transport them to some other place. So um, we've definitely come a long way from when I was first conceiving the idea to, to where we are now. Um, honestly, I came up with the idea doing research. Um, I was researching a lot of very popular fast casual brands. Um, and in my in-store visits, I was noticing a lot more orders going out the door and a lot less butts in seats. So I kind of started looking more at the ecosystem and the expense of real estate versus the production of food um, and just started at night playing with like, hey, what could be like a futuristic takeout concept? So, all right, like customers would want a lot of variety. Uh, we'd have to have a really good logistics system. So like they would know where to go when they walked in the front door. And what does that look like? How do people make people feel comfortable? Um, and little by little, just started chipping away at this idea, which is now Ghost Truck Kitchen, um, you know, about to celebrate our, our two year anniversary in operation. And Woo -woo. You know, things are things are great, minus the pandemic side effects for for a lot of the industry. Yeah. And now you but you, you really were like one of the ones who's very early on in this space. Um, so, you know, as you were kind of seeing those trends of, of more and more people like ordering out, how did you, like, what was it? How did you choose the concepts to, to do? Cause that's, a, that's another big thing that a lot of people are wondering, you know, they're sitting there thinking maybe they had the opposite of you where they, they have a big kitchen, they have a lot of space and they're thinking, 
what do I add to it? Like, how did you come up with 12 concepts? Yeah, for me, um, it's just about what wasn't available in the area or what I thought was available and we could do better. So uh, I'm fortunate enough, I, I actually reside a few blocks from where our location is. So I was very well versed in what the other takeout and delivery options were. Um, and I just felt that we needed something that was a little bit more high end than your classic takeout restaurant where they're maybe using pre-cut frozen vegetables and everything is getting thrown into a deep fryer, but not so expensive that you're spending 25 or $30 on an entree. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And then little things or cravings of like, Hey, maybe I could try that. So I'd say a lot was driven by my own taste. Um, <laughs> my wife and sister are also both vegetarians. So I had to make sure there was a focus on vegetarians and vegans. Um, but really the idea is to just make a one-stop shop so that you don't have to spend 30 minutes arguing with your significant other over uh, where to order from. And how did you optimize the kitchen space? Cause I mean, a lot of people have trouble fitting it. I mean, you, you talk about running one kitchen out of 800 square feet. It's like, all right, that's like, that's pretty tight. You know, you're doing 12 concepts. Like how, how did you do that? Uh, planning, planning, and more planning. Um, I, I would say, you know, a year was spent in, you know, studying menus, cross product utilization to figure out how we could most efficiently put out all our tickets in what makes sense for the kitchen and then also minimize waste. So, um, you know, we don't do concepts that are, are like fully apart. So we don't do burgers and then pizza or sushi and then, you know, there's a lot of food waste. There's not a lot of ingredients you can use together. So the idea was to make things efficient, minimize our food waste, um, and use a lot of products that we could change a few different ways with sauces or rubs and things like that. So what would be like your biggest learning on how to reduce food waste when, when opening up your own virtual concept? Yeah. Um, to be honest, mark everything down. Um, that was, it seems so simple, but writing down our food waste at the end of every single night when we first opened actually allowed us to realize what we were getting rid of and how to figure out how to utilize that. So we would go through the, you know, I would go through the food waste logs and say, Hey, um, at the time we were throwing out a lot of coconut rice. Um, coconut rice is amazing. It's delicious. But at the end of the day, it was going into the trash. So this is a great item we have. How do we figure out another dish to put it with so that we don't waste it? Um, and that's how we started with our uh, Island Bowl, which is now one of our best sellers. It's, you know, Jamaican jerk chicken, coconut rice and seasonal vegetables, killer. Um, again, one of our best sellers now, but it's really just learning from our own, own food waste mistakes um, and, and making things efficient. Love that, man. By the way, have you ever been to, uh, you've been to Jamaica? Yeah. Have you ever been, did you go to Scotchies when you were there? I didn't, no. Dude, all right. Worth the trip to go to Jamaica just for scotchies. Like their festival and jerk chicken was amazing. And I didn't even think I liked jerk chicken. So anyway, I'm excited. I think have mis misconceptions over, over jerk chicken. Uh, yeah. they're, they're happy when they get ours. Right. Anyway, I'm excited to give you guys a try. Cause I found out, I, I always thought that I hated jerk chicken because I, I had bad jerk chicken, you know? Um, anyway, very cool. And you know, obviously a lot of what you've learned too is, it's not just about what are, you, what are you not throwing away, but what are you putting into the top of the funnel, right? Like what type of food are you buying? Now yeah. you're doing some really interesting stuff. We're hearing a lot, in, um, hearing a lot about you know, co-ops and working together. And how do you do that when traditionally it's been pretty competitive and pretty, pretty insular? Um, so talk to us about what, what are you doing in, uh, with, with co-ops? I know you've got some interesting stuff going on. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as any operator now knows in the digital space, uh, third-party delivery companies can can take a chunk out of your business and uh, a you know, chunk make it, take the whole yeah. thing. I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice <laughs> since, since a lot of people are going to watch this. Um, we'll put it. They could take a significant portion of your business. Um, and where I thought, you know, where technology was 10 years ago, these companies were extremely necessary. Um, they did provide a, a service that restaurants couldn't do for themselves. They were great at digitizing menus and offering delivery logistics. Um, now that technology is available to the masses and, you know, we can put together our own tech stacks to do exactly what a Grubhub or a Postmates is doing on a hyper-local level. Um, so what we're doing here in Jersey City and Hoboken is just creating a hyper-local marketplace where we're providing operators the opportunity to actually join in and buy in to own their own customer data, to own their own delivery logistics, um, and actually be the benefactors of the profits from this marketplace. You know, I, I wish it was as simple as telling every customer to order direct, but the fact of the matter is customers like a marketplace. It's nice to see all your options. It's nice to research and find what else is out there. Um, so to give customers that opportunity while benefiting the restaurants opposed to harming them is a match made in heaven. So uh, there's, there's been great success across the country in a few different places. Uh, we're looking to, to mimic that success with, with our co-op, which will be called Gold, Gold Coast Community Delivery. Um, and the idea is, again, to, to incentivize restaurants to, to use their own system, to put money back in their own pockets. Love that. So how does, how does a co-op like that work? I mean, in terms of who's getting paid, who's paying for the technology, and how sure. do you, how do you, like, is the customer paying the co-op and the co-op redistributes? Anyway, just how does that work? Sure. So, so legally we're not a co-op. So we say co-op style. Um, oh, okay. some, some groups are out there are actual um, cooperatives. Uh, the way it works for us is, you know, kind of like a membership system. You buy a three-year membership. It entitles you to locked in rates for marketing and delivery. Um, we keep those fees for the guest minimal. Uh, so delivery fee, that's it. The restaurants aren't paying, you know, delivery drivers, separate fees, commissions on, on every, on each and every order. So basically our, our customer pays for the delivery fee. The restaurant pays their small commission fee, both the restaurant and the customer save money and any additional money goes right back into the pockets um, of our restaurants. So essentially all our profits get distributed back to our members. Uh, we're looking to start with about 50 restaurants. We hope we can get that up to, to double that uh, in about a year. But the idea is, again, this can be a profitable business, especially when hyper-local delivery is making it happen. And those profits should go to the people that are working really hard to provide you with that delicious food and not necessarily a technology company that's 1,500 or 3,000 miles away. Amen. Love that, man. I think it's a really cool concept. How, how big of a network do you think you're going outside of Jersey City? Or is it going to be like yeah. hyper-local? Hyper-local for us, Jersey City and Hoboken, um, you know, if things go great, which we hope they will, I think expanding to other communities just north or just south. But I think this is something that every, you know, community of restaurants in every city should really be looking at, um, should really be engaging in. Because, again, these are services they can put together themselves. They can keep the money in their own community. The drivers who are also working really hard, they get paid what they're supposed to get paid. Customers aren't getting tagged with crazy fees. Um, and it just makes the ecosystem work, work a lot uh, nicer. I'm happy to, to talk to anyone and, and help anyone out if they're, they're looking to start their own uh, delivery local system. It's, it's the wave of the future, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I was really involved in the Restaurant Technology Network tool that basically helped restaurants to analyze, should I go with third-party delivery, create my own, or do delivery as a service? One of the factors that we didn't have enough data on at the time was these co-ops um, as a whole new model for how do you offer delivery? How do you get your food, your brand, your passion into someone's living room? And I think that there's, there's something to be said for food courts, right? That was, for me, that's why I went to the mall. I went to the, you know, go to Short Hills Mall, go to Willowbrook Mall. I mean, I went there for the food courts, right? Sure, I, I like to see what Spencer's had, but I mean, like that, <laughs> that's why you go. And, and that desire to go with the group and to know that there's something for everyone uh, is really cool. And I think that co-ops are a great way to, you know, to help distill that and to help honestly with the, um, you know, with how expensive and how many logistics, just let's pull that together. You know, let's like work together. And I think that's a, that's a great idea. Super cool. Absolutely. And, you know, you're a very vocal support uh, proponent of owning data of restaurants really taking back their business. And you talk about the Amazonification of restaurants. What do you mean by that? Well, I think, uh, I'm, I'm an Amazon Prime customer. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are as well. Are there um, people who aren't? I, don't, maybe, I, don't. I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, you know, we can all recall when all of a sudden, you know, on your search history, you were getting, you know, let's say tissues all of a sudden. I don't know that Amazon sells tissues, but the first thing that comes up now. <laughs> the, is, the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. Amazon, Amazon Basics tissues or Amazon mm-hmm. Basics, you know, um, headphones or chargers or whatever the case may be. Um, So what I mean by that is, you know, these third party companies, they've ingested a lot of data for a lot of years, right? So for the past 10, 15, 20 years, they got every single customer, what they've ordered, when they've ordered it, how much they've spent at what time of day. Um, That is very, very powerful tool. Uh, It's my opinion, and I think this is happening already, that these third-party companies, in order to become profitable, are going to start creating their own restaurants and their own concepts and pushing those concepts to the top of their search engines because obviously for them, those are the most profitable. The same reason yeah. that Amazon does that. So, so when we talk about the Amazonification of restaurants, that's really what it is. It's, it's big tech companies weaponizing the data that we gave them uh, essentially to use it against us. And there, there's a lot of talk about commissions and how expensive it is, but I think the real hidden danger in all of this is the consumer data. You know, if, if a third party company knows exactly what price point to put a chicken sandwich and at what time to show you that ad because you're gonna buy it, I, I can't do that, right? I can't, I don't have a dynamic menu that I could change my pricing at, depending on what time of day and what com- com- you know, customer I'm selling to. These guys will have that ability. Um, so it's really important that restaurants have a game plan to own their own customer data. Yeah, I mean, and John DiLoretto came on to the podcast a couple months back and talked about how, did an analogy of Toys R Us and, uh, and Amazon and basically was like, look, Toys R Us back in the day, 2000, they were like, well, hey, this whole internet thing is pretty interesting, but we're not internet people. So let's get Amazon to sell our stuff for us. Well, not only do they do the selling, the distribution, and the customer experience, meaning that if the guest had a bad experience, guess who solved it? Guess who was the hero? Amazon. Well, 
Toys R Us, where are they today? I'll tell you what, there is a giant warehouse that is more than 800 square feet. I'll tell you that. That is a block away from here where the sign of Toys R Us is, uh, you could still see the outline of it because she gone. And I think that it's really important to remember that if you don't own your customers, you don't own a business. Your customers are your business. And so you need to make sure that you're owning the customer from the time they see you until the time that they're coming back over and over and over again. And sure, DSPs can be a great way to get someone to hear about you, but it's not the way to, you know, if that's the only way to have your business growing, right? You can't, how do you do it with 30% margins off the top? That's not skimming the cream. That's like taking the milk. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, right. It doesn't take a math genius to when you put the numbers together, right. You take your average restaurant margin is let's say a good restaurant is maybe like eight to 12%. And now you take out 30% revenue to a third. Those numbers don't add up that well. Um, They can overpromise the world. Like, Oh, you, you already have your overhead, your labor's already in there. It's all incremental. It's all incremental. The truth is it's not, you're, you're competing for the same customers. Um, there's a little, not, not a story, but I, I spoke with someone recently. We were talking about third parties. She said, yeah, actually I had dinner last night. Said, oh, what'd you get? She said, I had DoorDash. Said, no, where, where did you get dinner from? She couldn't remember, you know? Right. And that I think is its own problem right there, right? If customers don't even care what your restaurant is, you're not, you're not a restaurant. You're essentially a food production you know, facility. You're fulfilling orders on behalf of a third party. So you're, you're an employee almost of the third party. Um, so we need to break that connection. I really hate when I see restaurants you know, on their Instagram profile, oh, order through Uber Eats or it's on their door and they have the stickers on there. Stop doing that. Restaurants, stop doing that. Promote your own channels. And unfortunately, though, the converse of that story that you shared uh, is does not hold true. Meaning, if I order from DoorDash and the order is wrong, well, guess who gets the guff for it? Guess who gets the negative review for it? It's not DoorDash. Where are they going to... They don't review DoorDash, they review your brand. And people are three times more likely to leave a negative review than a positive one. And so we run into this issue where if it's good, then yeah, great, DoorDash helped me out. If it's bad, then it's like, ah, oh, freaking noodles and company. They, you know, they messed up my order, you know? Right. Um, and that's why when you look online, data shows that online reviews that mention delivery are 1.5 stars less than online reviews that don't mention delivery. So it's, we're, we're getting killed here. Yeah. I mean, and it's hard, right? I mean, I know like this is a trend and everyone had to pivot to, to off premise and ghost kitchens and it's still hard, right? Restaurants and full service is hard because it has its own challenges of customer service and, and checking on tables and upselling guests and, Delivery has its own complications. Just because you're only making the food, quote unquote, it doesn't mean it's any easier, right? Timing, how do we keep things hot? How are things gonna travel well? How do we let the customers know if something is gonna be late or out of something, communication? Those things become harder because the customer is not in-house. So um, being able to, to focus on, on that is, is challenging. And that's probably why the, the data shows that delivery reviews are lower. It's, it's a harder type of service to succeed in. So Martina, what would be your final piece of advice to restaurant owners, operators out there? 
Um, we touched on it today, you know, own, owning your customer data, owning that guest experience from, from order to, to whether it's delivery or they're in-house, you know, taking everything that you can uh, direct and in-house and, and using that data to really enhance your overall operation. Awesome. Here are my takeaways. Number one, look at the gaps in your market and find ways to open up those ghost kitchens there. Number two, minimize food waste. I loved your idea of just write down. It's so simple, but do it, right? Like write down what did you, what was the waste at the end of each night and use that as inspiration even to to come up with new concepts. Number three, look at co-ops within your local network. Four, don't let third-party delivery companies weaponize your data. Uh, And then lastly, like you said, own that customer data. Don't just give it to them, but use it, own it and, and make it part of your entire process because that data is so powerful when you could use it. And you hear that a lot in this ethereal way, but there's a lot of very, once you get that data, there's so many simple ways that you can use that to leverage, to improve your brand and to drive revenue. Um, Martino, how do people find you, follow you? Um, so on Instagram, we are Hello GTK for Ghost Truck Kitchen. Uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn and connect. I love talking shop. So just Andrew Martino on LinkedIn. Uh, if you need any help with anything, cheers at martinohospitality.com. Awesome. Well, for helping me out and being an inspiration all the way from high school until today, Martino, today's ovation goes to you, my man. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Zach. It was a real pleasure, man. Real pleasure. Glad you're with us today and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to ovationup.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.